<laughs> all right. So we are going to be talking from two parables today, all of three verses. Um, from We will be in Matthew 13. Um, but before we do that, and I thought it was really interesting that as Heidi got up this morning or this afternoon trying to get our attention, she said, Our Father who art in heaven. Did, did anyone hear her do that? And on the top of my notes, I thought we, I wanted us to start today by reciting the Lord's Prayer. And so not that I cheated, it's there on the top of my notes. First thing I wrote down today. So if, could, we, could we recite the Lord's Prayer together? Close our eyes. And I want you just, we'll do it slowly. We'll not stop, but we'll just do it in one shot. But just as you try and say, God, would you speak to me um, as we, we do this, if that's all right. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be, be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's at the, at the heart of that prayer is that the kingdom of God would come and that the Lord's will would be done. And hopefully as we, we go through this series on the parables, that will become clear. Think we can just close the door. Would that be all right? Thank you. Um, these parables are, are, are dealing with kingdom stuff. So I want to read something from Eugene Peterson. Um, that's actually, I read many, 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 many years ago, and I had to dig it out to find it again. Um, but it's a, it's a beautiful way that he, he looks at the parables. But I also want to encourage you to go back and listen to Brian's talk from last week. If you weren't here, or if you were distracted, or it was too dense for you to get in one shot, or you just felt that was fantastic, I want to listen to that again, just like you listened to Beautiful Day by U2 or whatever. I really want to encourage you to go listen to that talk. It's profound in terms of unpacking, at least at the beginning, the idea of why we have parables, why Jesus spoke in parables, and how important they are to us. Eugene Peterson says this, Jesus' favorite speech form, the parable, was subversive. Parables sound absolutely ordinary. Casual stories about soil and seeds, bandits and victims, farmers and merchants. And they are wholly secular, of his 40 or so parables recorded in the Gospels, only one has its setting in church, and only a couple mention the name God. As people heard Jesus tell these stories, they saw at once that they weren't about God, so there was nothing in them, in them threatening their own sovereignty. They relaxed their defenses. They walked away perplexed, wondering what they meant. The stories lodged in their imagination. And then, like a time bomb, they would explode in their unprotected hearts. An abyss opened up at their very feet. He was talking about God, and they had been invaded. Jesus continually threw odd stories down alongside ordinary lives. Para, alongside, bole, throne, parable, and walked away without explanation or altar call. Then listeners started seeing connections. God connections, life connections, eternity connections. The very lack of obviousness, the unlikeness, was the stimulus to perceiving likeness. 
God-likeness, life-likeness, eternity-likeness. But the parable didn't do the work. It put the listener's imagination to work. Parables aren't illustrations that make things easier. They make things harder by requiring the exercise of our imaginations, which, if we aren't careful, become the exercise of our faith. Parables subversively slip past our defenses. Once they're inside the citadel of self, we might expect a change of method, a sudden brandishing of bayonets resulting in a palace coup, but it doesn't happen. Our integrity is honored and preserved. God does not impose his reality from without. He grows flowers and fruit from within. God's truth is not an alien invasion, but a loving courtship in which the details of our common lives are treated as seeds in our conception, growth, and maturity in the kingdom. Parables trust our imaginations, which is to say our faith. They don't herd us paternalistically into a classroom where we get things explained and diagrammed. They don't bully us into regiments where we find ourselves marching in a moral goose step. Isn't it wonderful? And I think it's important for us as we do that to think of parables in that way. So even as we begin to preach the parables, we're not trying to uncover every word because we're actually doing disservice to the parable itself in, in the way that's meant to impact us. Does that make sense? So today, as we look at these two parables, it's going to be kind of simple because it's three verses, and they're trying to say one thing. They're trying to say a multiple thing. They're trying one thing. What is that one thing? We're trying to captivate that if we can. Might be, we might see it differently. But hopefully it causes us to wait upon God and think through what that parable means. So let's read Matthew 13, starting in verse 44. I'm going to read 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Isn't it great? One verse. So much in that verse. Next one goes like this, from verse 45. There was a young guy walking down the street, and he collected comics. And he had a great collection of comics. But he'd been looking for one comic his whole life. Couldn't find it. So one day he walked into a comic store, and behold, he could not believe his luck. There, on the shelf, was that original first issue Spider-Man that he was looking for. It was there, the very thing, in pristine Condition. It was the best. He had never just seen a comic like that. He said to the owner, hold that for me. I'll be back. He has a depart. I'll be back. He went home on eBay, sold the whole collection, his whole, everything that he had. Took all the money, went back, and he bought that one comic and was just thrilled beyond measure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Same story, isn't it? Just modern. Simple little stories to somehow impact us about what is the kingdom. Jesus is trying to give us ideas of what is the kingdom. And so I'm going to just give a few thoughts, and I'm going to do four main ideas, which are all short as well, and we're done. At the heart of this is that I think God is asking us, as we did the Lord's Prayer, is that we pray that his kingdom come. 
as we said in the very first week when we spoke on this, is that John the Baptist and Jesus came and preached that the kingdom of God was at hand. And all these parables then go say, what does this kingdom look like? And it's our design, our daily prayer, that this kingdom would come. Not in the future, that this kingdom would come now. The reality is that when Jesus spoke about the kingdom, he said the kingdom of God is at hand, it's now. And then he began to live it out and demonstrate it. We know that one day it'll come in its fullness. But there's a kingdom life and a kingdom way that is for today. And we need to ask God to reveal that, to bring it about, that his will be done. If we get into the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7, there's that great verse. Seek first the kingdom. And all the other things that we're so concerned about will be sorted out. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the ways of God. And so as we look at these, we want to say, how does this describe that? How does it unpack that thing? It's important to understand that as we look at a parable. We've got one verse. The parable, the kingdom is not necessarily the story, the treasure or the pearl. The kingdom is actually the whole story. And what we often do is say, oh, we reduce it down to the treasure. The kingdom of God is like the treasure. No, the kingdom of God is like the treasure in a field that a man found and did some stuff. It's the whole story. It's not just the one aspect. And if we, if we miss that when we read parables, we actually will miss the broader understanding of what God is wanting us to do. And I'm going to explain that in a moment. Um, the kingdom of heaven is like. This is not the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like. Trying to get us to think, oh, what does that mean? You know? Um, and we must understand that the hearers of that time would have been familiar with these words. They would have been familiar with the treasure in a field. Now, there's obviously a historical setting to that. I don't know about you, but when I'm on the internet and I go to CNN or especially on BBC, so I, I look at a bunch of news sites every morning. But I always end up at the BBC. I love reading the BBC because they kind of tell it as it is. They don't give you all the highfalutin stuff that goes around. They just tell you, three people were killed today on a train or whatever. When you read others, three people were killed on a train, and we're not sure why they were connected and why they were on the train and where they got on, and just like, no, just the news. But then if you scroll down the C down BBC website, you get to the bottom, and they have archaeological discoveries and little interesting tidbits about a guy who was on his farm plowing, and he found a treasure. Literally found a treasure on his farm, something that had been hidden there for a long time. So this is not unusual language. People do it to, today. It's like, in a modern vernacular, it's like, whoa, I won the lottery. These things happen. And so in those days, why would there be treasure in a field? I mean, isn't that a kind of a bizarre thing? I found a treasure in a field. What on earth was the treasure doing in the field in the first place? Well, there were no banks. Sometimes in Jewish culture, they would take their valuables and they would deposit them at the temple and the priests would look after people's things. But the Roman army were known to go into the temple and steal all the stuff that's there. So people kept it to themselves, and if they saw an invasion coming, they would go into their field, they would dig a hole, and they would bury their treasure, whatever that treasure might be, with the idea that they would go back and get it. But maybe they were killed along the way, 
and no one knew about the treasure because if someone knew about the treasure, they would have dug up the treasure, would they have not? So he has a treasure that's just lying dormant. Some guy comes along. He doesn't own the property, so he's an invader or he's a ragamuffin or whatever he's doing. He's doing his thing. He finds a treasure. It's not that unusual. Someone went into a cave and found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Someone hid some stuff. They found it. So it's not unusual. We've, it happens all the time. So we've got to see that the story is, oh, the people get it. Oh, yeah, yeah, get that. God found a treasure. Yeah, so he bought, could, well, he better buy the field so that he can legally make the treasure his. So it's a, you know, a merchant. He's buying and selling jewels, pearls. That's what he did. Just, oh, okay, got that. You do know that pearls are not mentioned in the Old Testament at all. Isn't that interesting? Mention lots of jewels, but there's nothing, no mention of pearls. It's only later as you come in that pearls actually became this valuable commodity. But here's a merchant, he sell. And one day he finds something. Oh my word. There's a story in the Philippines I read about three months ago. About a, a guy or a family, and they were old and they passed away. And when they emptied their house out under the guy's bed, the old guy's bed was a pearl that he had got out of the ocean. It was maybe, I don't know, from what I can remember, maybe the size, the length of the piano, a pearl, all like shaped like this, a huge thing hidden under the bed. You think, what? Because we always think of pearls as these little things. This was a pearl that had been formed somehow, and this guy found it and didn't think of anything. It was under his bed. Isn't that amazing? Valuable, valuable. So they understood the kind of the idea, the kingdom of God is like, they got some of this, but then Jesus was bringing a whole new understanding to the kingdom. They, they, had, they had knew the prophetic word that a kingdom was coming, that David was a king, that there were all these kings, some were good and some were bad, but there was a king coming one day. They, they kind of had that in the orb of their theology of the upbringing, these Jewish folk, these religious leaders, these ordinary folk, they all had that. But when Jesus came to speak about this kingdom, he says it's like this. There was something different. We see in Matthew, I think Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus announces the kingdom, John the Baptist dead, and suddenly begins to heal and deliver. Oh, is that the kingdom? And Luke 4, he comes out of the desert, filled with the Spirit, sits down and says, opens the scroll. The scroll they would have known, Isaiah. Spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach a good news. And goes, is that the kingdom? kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure, like a merchant who found a pearl. What does this mean? It's important, and I'm going to say this again because I think it's important that we have to see that in the context of that and in the context of today, the kingdom was for those people then and there. It wasn't for something that was coming in the future. The kingdom of God was at hand And Jesus began to say that actually you need spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to perceive this kingdom. John the Baptist announced the kingdom. He was filled with the spirit in the womb. Jesus began to announce the kingdom. He was filled by the spirit. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on the church. They begin to proclaim the kingdom, what the kingdom looks like. We have to have eyes to see and ears to hear what this kingdom is like. But it's a spiritual thing. 
And that's why when Eugene Peterson speaks about it, he says, you hear this ordinary story, that this unspiritual, but as, you, as it invades you and you begin to think and ponder, what did it mean? Faith begins to rise and the work of the Spirit takes root in your life and begins to show you, thinking, boom, I've been invaded. Oh, that's what it's about. Does it make sense? Four points I want you to get here. One, the preciousness and the value of the kingdom. This is not some loose throw. This is, this is something that's amazing. Both those stories speak about the, what's in the kingdom is something precious, something valuable, something awesome. Um, the reason we read those two stories from Matthew 9, the one was about the paralytic that his friends brought, to be healed. The other one was the lady with the issue of blood who touched Jesus, is that these two parables in some way explain those two situations. The first one is a guy in his field and he finds a treasure. He's not looking for a treasure. He's doing whatever he does in his field and he finds a treasure. It's unexpected. It's an unexpected discovery. The paralytic was not expecting to be healed that day. He was bought by his friends and where something beautiful happened. The kingdom of God came to his life and he was healed. And he was filled with joy. The second story, the merchant, he's actually searching out something valuable. He's expecting to find something valuable. He does business. That woman had been bleeding for 12 years. She'd been looking for healing. She heard about Jesus. She came to him. If only she could touch. It's the diligent searcher. Here's the deal. It doesn't matter if it's unexpected and you're not looking and God meets you or you've been searching your whole life and God meets you. You find the kingdom. But here's the, here's the, the real part that goes with it. It doesn't matter how you find it. The response is the same. The response to finding life in God, to finding this, wow, this kingdom thing is actually a surrendering of everything that you are and everything that you have for the sake of that. And I want to hazard a guess that many of us do not come into the fullness of the kingdom because we found something that was really exciting, but we never surrendered all for it. In both those stories, if you came in unexpectedly or you came in as a diligent searcher of the truth, at the, when you found it, it was, oh my goodness, I've got to let go of things if I truly, truly am going to embrace fully what kingdom life looks like. The issue here is these people didn't go away poverty-stricken. We often think, we, we, oh, you become a Christian, you've got to get rid of everything and you'll be poor. No, one ended up with a treasure and one ended up with a great pearl that was worth a fortune. Did he trade it? No idea. Did he just keep it under the bed? Maybe. But the kingdom of God is it's like that. You've, sometimes you, you've come across it unexpectedly. Wow, that's, oh, God's like that. And sometimes you've been searching the scriptures and you've been praying, God, I need, and suddenly God shows you something. The result is the same. You have to step back, count the cost of what it means to in, take on this treasure or take on this pearl, to take on this kingdom life. You've got to count the cost, step back. Okay, I'm ready. Surrender this, step forward. Yes, here I go. 
That's kingdom life. When you want to just add kingdom life to your kingdom, it doesn't work. It never has worked. It never will work. It'll just become like a big pimple on your head. That'll eventually you, you want to get rid of because it... You see, what you discover, what you find, what is revealed to you about the kingdom gives meaning and joy to the surrender. I think for too long it's like you be, follow Jesus and you better give up all this stuff and you'll be miserable. No, I have, I have so found joy in, in Jesus, in his life, in his kingdom stuff. There's such joy in that. It's, this is not difficult to give up. You know, if you've been dating, dating, and suddenly you find the one, it's not so hard to give up all and delete all the numbers from your log and your contacts list because you found the one. Because there's joy. Just give that one up. That's easy. So there were two things that I spoke about there: the valuable of the kingdom, the unexpected. And what we discover gives meaning to surrender. Thirdly, and I'll touch on this, I'm going to say it again. We can profess loyalty to Jesus and the kingdom, but what is there in our lives to illustrate this loyalty? What in your life demonstrates your loyalty to the ways and the person of Jesus? Does anybody ever know by interacting with you? There's a beautiful, beautiful text. Let's actually read it in Acts. If I can find it, Acts chapter 4, verse 13, I think it is. So this is the, it's post-Pentecost, these people have suddenly, these fearful, miserable bunch of guys have suddenly come alive. And they're doing things, and now they're standing before the religious leaders. And now when these religious leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they, what? Had been with Jesus. But with them, they also saw a man that was healed. They recognized something. These men had been with Jesus. Their lives were different. So the question is, in terms of the kingdom, if the kingdom of God is like this treasure, is, is it so valuable to you that you have counted the cost? And not bit the bullet, oh, I have to surrender this. No, you are so overwhelmed with joy about this that this is actually not that difficult. And your life begins to show it. Not because you're trying to rev something up. It's just the joy that has gripped your heart because you have found something so valuable. It just spills over. Now, I know we, none of us is perfect. We're all miserable from time to time. And Linda will back in the last weeks. I've been a very miserable person. I haven't slept. I'm, I'm sleeping, by the way. I was miserable. We will like that. But as an overarching life... There's a sense of, no, this is a joyous thing. 
What's that Old Testament line? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Oh, such a cheesy line. It's so powerful. Fourthly, are these parables predominantly about us finding Jesus in the kingdom, or are they maybe about Jesus finding us in his kingdom? Or maybe both, just to get you thinking. Because you read the commentators, they're just like different things. They're actually three or four other ways. It's like, oh, this could be about Jesus finding us. He's saying, this is what it's like. I'm finding you. It could be that we're finding him and his purposes. The idea is that in all of this, at the heart of the kingdom is a God who is kind and loving and generous and gracious. It wants to be found. It wants to be connected with. Proverbs 25, verse 2. It's one of those great verses I read years ago, and it's, you know, it sticks in your head. It just stays there. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. It's the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. And this is a beautiful thing that God is not hiding because he doesn't want to be found. God is in, in story, in nature, in all these things. He's wanting to be found, but he wants us to embark on a journey of discovery rather than he imposes himself upon us. You know, nature is like a parable. Through nature, we would find something about God. Tells us that in the scriptures. So nature is like a big parable, a big, it's a big illustration. How about Jesus being a parable himself? If you come after me, if you search of you will basically, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Maybe, maybe I'm stretching it too far. But Jesus is a parable. Jesus said, if you come to me, you will find the Father. He's what is what he's encouraged them, come look, come search. I'm not just going to throw everything out there. Because why? Because I created you as a human. I created you with the ability to reason and to think and to dream and to imagine and to search. It's inherent to who we are as human beings. We're not robots. We are not programmed. That's not who we are. Kids love to play hide and seek. Don't they? You don't even have to tell them. They just love to play hide and seek. Why? Inherent in us is this ability to search things out. And as parents, often, I mean, coming on Easter, we said we're going to do it at part of, we'll do an Easter egg hunt. Well, why are we doing that? Because they're going to search it out. We're not going to stay, there's the egg, there's the egg, there's, no, go search. Now, we will do some things that ends up fair. Otherwise, we, we don't want all the tears. But the idea is we search. That's built into us. We search things out. And if we raise our kids, and, and sometimes we, you know, I'll, I'll look at Tila, are there things I did wrong? Did I just give her too much? Did I just enable her? Or did I put in, in front of her the ability to search things out, to go know how to find a job, how to look for an apartment, how to buy a car? That's, I mean, it's all the same idea. 
that's in the practical, and now we're making it into the spiritual. It's still the one life. It's the glory of God. It's the glory of a parent to conceal things. It's the glory of children to discover them. Whoa, look what I found. I had Ruby come over today to pick up lemons. I paid her. I've employed her to pick up lemons. <laughs> She's filled out the W6, whatever it is, and I'll give her a 1099. <laughs> but imagine, I, I actually, when I was afterwards and I was sitting preparing, I thought the next time she comes, I'm going to put something under one of the lemons. Just a something. Whoa! I'll be checking her honesty. No. <laughs> but it's like, just to tip that discovery. I want to encourage you. We are children of a father that wants to be found. He wants to be known. But if he just poured himself out, bang, we would die. He is so glorious. He wants us to discover and scratch. What's that? Let me scratch it some more. Oh, look at that. It's the glory of God to conceal things. It's the glory of kings to discover them. Parables, you need to go and think on this parable and the others. Parables get you to think, God, how does that work in my life? What do you mean there? How does it affect me? Well, in my context, begin to think, begin to, oh. Maybe pick another parable this week and read one. That think, how does that work? Just begin to think, ponder, imagine dream and let God take root in your heart. I think when we do that, there's a beautiful, in Romans it says, faith comes by hearing. Faith comes. You don't have to generate it. You don't have to. Just, if you will sit in God's word, just ponder it and think it through. And even if you don't understand it, just, what does you mean by that, Lord? And sit with it and sit with it and chew it. And faith comes. You will realize you've been invaded. Can you take a moment? I'm going to hand over to Brian in a second or two. But I want you to take a moment. I want you to take a moment to close your eyes just so that hopefully it helps you be less distracted. And just ponder. Think on these parables. Think through the story of the comics or think of a new story that could illustrate this, this idea that the kingdom of God is like the unexpected or for the searcher. Just ponder and let God speak to you.